The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'll be your guest host today and next week. Beth Heaton, the regular host, will be back on April 21st. Now on to today. For our second segment, we have a wonderful guest, Annie Connors, who is a first-year student at the University of South Carolina and will be sharing with us her process for choosing USC. She wasn't one of those students who knew exactly where she wanted to go to college at the beginning of the process, and she had a long list of colleges to start with. So I think many of our listeners um, whose path to colleges wasn't straightforward will be able to relate to her experience. For our final segment, I'll be talking with Jean Mahan, a finance expert for, with College Coach, who is also a member of the Massachusetts Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators. She'll be telling us about the regional tuition, regional tuition reciprocity agreements, specifically the New England Regional Student Program. But first, we'll be talking to Pete Silberman, a former admissions counselor at the University of Pennsylvania and a current assistant professor of education at Lincoln Memorial University in Tennessee, as well as an educational consultant here at College Coach. Pete and I will be talking about questions to ask during a college visit. As a listener, you might remember that we did a segment on college visits a few months ago. In this segment, we'll talk about what to ask to get a deeper sense of what kind of experience a college will provide. You can kind of think of it as a follow-up to that earlier conversation. So, hi, Pete. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Sally. Great to be here. Thank you. Okay, great. So, let's. I, I want to start with an anecdote to illustrate why students might want to think carefully about the sorts of questions that they're going to ask on a visit and why a more in-depth visit might be necessary. Um, so here's the anecdote. I worked with a student, a high school student, when I was a high school counselor. Um, he was a bright, sensitive young man. He was a poet. Um, and he went off on his college, uh, you know, his, his trip to visit colleges in the Northeast. He visited a well-known, well-regarded, smaller college, and he loved it. He was taken with the fact that they had lots of smart students, and it was in a very, very beautiful place. But when he attended, he found that he didn't like it. It just wasn't a good match for him. He found that most students, while they were smart, were focused on athletics. And so he didn't really find a community for himself as someone who wanted to discuss poetry and creative writing. So he's kind of, for me, a perfect example of a student who, you know, he went on a visit. He thought he'd done everything right, but he missed some crucial pieces. So I guess I want to talk today about, you know, what could he have done to dig deeper? 
you know, he went on a tour and an information session. So he did those basic things. So I don't know, any ideas? Like what are some questions or things, questions to ask or things he could have done that would have gotten him more of the information he needed to make a more thoughtful decision? Sure. Yeah, I, I think stories like that aren't, aren't as uncommon as maybe we wish they were. Um, you know, you, you feel like you've done all the things you're supposed to do and have done kind of the perfect research and, um, you know, certainly hope that that translates to finding a great match. But um, I used to take students on college tours every year and, and we just were always struck, the counselors were always struck by, by how often kids seem to react to things that, you know, at least in our mind, weren't particularly substantive, you know, weren't necessarily things that were going to have a, an enormous impact on um, their four-year experience at a given school. And so um, I think that's, I think it's a really good question to raise. I think we want to make sure that, um, you know, we give, we give the listeners some advice about what's good to pay attention to, um, you know, what, what students might react to that can be a little bit of a red herring um, or some things that, that might, again, not end up having a great impact. So, um, I guess when, you know, when we talked about this a little bit, my first instinct was that these days, w- one of the great benefits I think of, of applying to college now is that there's all kinds of sources of information about the school that haven't always been available to, um, particularly to, to probably applicants, parents, um, older generations. And, and, and in some ways, I think that means that you can really focus on, uh, sort of a, a more qualitative experience, um, getting, getting an impression. Um, you can really focus on certain things in, in the visit and not other things like class size or total student population or um, undergraduate majors offer, number of D1 athletic teams, things that you really can find more easily um, without visiting a school. Um, and I think it really underscores ways in which you can use a visit to um, to really get a sense of the environment, get a sense of the student body, the culture, um, and, and how well you fit into all those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's completely true. And I always recommend when I talk to students that they do research that basic information other, you know, before they even go there. I mean, otherwise, how do they know that it's a good place to go in the first place? Although... I'm not someone who's opposed to just dropping by a college because you happen to be there. But in general, when you're going on a visit, you should do your research first. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think it just takes away that kind of sort of survey level, inventory level, almost a little bit more superficial level of information that you need to collect and, and can do by researching, you know, on the website or schools these days very generous with sending out brochures or potentially even uh, sending representatives to college fairs or high school visits, things like that. So you can kind of strip away that level of information that, you, you know, you don't have to ask the tour guide, um, you know, again, what's the student to faculty ratio at this school? You don't need to focus on those things. Um, instead, you might be able to, to try to get a sense of the quality of the experience of going to that school. And I think um, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Um, a lot of people obviously are going to, they're going to go to an information session. They're going to go take a, a tour. And there are some things that uh, I think you can get out of those. Again, you can get some concrete information. You can get a sense of that particular tour guide's experience. We often recommend that you ask the tour guide, you know, what do they like about that school? What, how did they choose that particular school? What are they majoring in? What's a typical 
Friday night like or a weekend like for that student, um, some things that they're involved in. And I think that's great. I think those are all really good things to do. Um, but it's also important to keep in mind that you're getting not just one perspective, but you're getting the perspective of somebody who, you know, you can be pretty sure is very happy at that school and has had a great experience and is either being paid to or volunteering to uh, promote the school, essentially. So um, important to try to get some other perspectives, too. Um, so one of the things that I often try to convince teenage students to do, as awkward as it can be, especially at first, is if you kind of have the gumption just to approach some people around the campus and try to strike up a conversation with them, especially, you know, people that you think are students, um, and maybe just ask some of those same questions, ask what they're involved in, what they, what they, what their impressions of the school are, what they're majoring, um, how they pick that school, uh, and just to try to get a couple of different perspectives. And again, to get perhaps a slightly more unfiltered perspective. Um, so I think that's a really great thing to do while you're on a campus. Again, if you can kind of overcome that slightly social, socially awkward first step of, of um, talking to students. And I think that even their willingness to talk to you might say something about the school. I mean, one of the things that students will write about in their essays, let alone, you know, talk about when they come back from a visit is, you know, gosh, as soon as I, I asked the student, he just gushed about the school and was really willing to talk to me. And I didn't get the sense that I was some lowly high school kid and they were a college kid. Um, and that can really go a long way in, in creating a certain impression of a, of a campus and an environment and particular university. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Actually, it's interesting. I sent a student off to, um, um, to actually to my alma mater. Um, she got into it. She wanted to visit. And she said that when she first visited her, like the first sort of half hour of the visit, she didn't like very much, but she'd heard good things about it from me. So she thought, you know what, this is just one tour guide who, for whatever reason, I'm not connecting with. So she started going up and talking to people and she realized that that's all she needed to do. The people were super friendly, very, very giving of their time and really, really honest and straightforward with her about what they saw as the advantages um, of attending Reed and also, you know, what some of the challenges were or things that she might want to think about when she was considering whether it was a match. And she asked, those kinds of questions and what was interesting that she noted was that it would turn into a conversation I mean she'd sort of ask one question and then right out of the gate she'd be having a 10 minute conversation or longer and it would only you know it would stop because they had to go to class but they were really giving of their time yeah I think you know the, the, the willingness there and then also being able to find some common interests and some things that you'd want to talk to another student about um Kind of a kind of a good segue, I think, into uh, another tip that I often uh, try to impress upon students, which is, you know, you're there and you're you're again, you're sort of collecting that more qualitative data. Um, you're looking around, you're looking at things like the student newspaper, uh, you're looking at flyers, you're looking at events that are going on on campus, and these are all things that are um, that are helpful in creating an impression of the school and and giving you a sense of whether you fit. You know what. What are students talking about on the campus? What are, what are some of the debates that are going on or the, the events that students are excited about? What are some of the student groups promoting? Um, and, you know, that, that would be part of the fabric of your daily life if you were attending a given school. So 
not something to be ignored. You know, not you don't have to sort of just laser focus on the the information session officer or the the tour guide or, or things like that. You know, it's really appropriate and I think helpful to to see what see what student groups are doing, see what events might be going on on the campus. Pick up a newspaper and and kind of thumb through and see if you see if you see some articles that you think are interesting, some some debates that are conversations that are happening on campus. Um, um, lecture series, maybe. I think those are those are great things to do to give you a sense of of what's going on in the life of the campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually love um, sort of picking up on questions based on things that I do see around. Like, you know, I attended a Catholic university, and they had a, um, you know, and they had a, a kind of a pro life protest going on. So I asked a question about that. Is that how most of the students feel? Is that you know, it, it's just, it's something that you can then ask a question about to kind of get a sense of, all right, are my, are students who disagree with this particular thing, um, you know, expression on college campus is a really positive thing. There's no question about it. And, you know, a lively debate is a positive thing. But, you know, you want to find out, is it a debate? Is is the student culture really maybe more skewed um, towards one side or the other? And then that will help you, you know, advise um, you know, advise the kind of students who might want to go there. I mean, I think about, um, was, you know, sometimes I think people think like all small colleges are the same, for example. And, you know, I use the <laughs> yeah. example of Reed, which is my alma mater. I would call it a very liberal place, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they have some, um, you know, parts of their curriculum might seem conservative to the outsider. I visited um, University of Dallas, which is a Catholic university in Dallas, and they had a kind of similar traditional core curriculum. But the way they approached it was completely different. And I was sort of thinking, and it was actually a much more conservative place. And I was actually, I was just kind of thinking about how superficially the schools might seem somewhat similar, but they were actually so radically, sort of dramatically different. And to me, that's, I just like that example because it highlights that need to get at a kind of student culture and, um, like you said, kind of find out what are students doing on weekends? What are the big organizations um, that students adhere to? Like, do people go to church on Sunday? All those things can be good questions to ask. I think that's right. And I think, you know, if you, if you think about kind of backwards planning against having a really good list by the time your, you're, you know, senior year rolls around and you're ready to start applying, um, to me, I, I think it's a little bit of a misconception that a really good list is a really homogeneous list, you know, that a, that a really good list is, you know, five or 10 small liberal arts colleges. Um, you know, you might find your niche, you might find your, your sort of vibe uh, within a larger university. And, and so maybe you do have a small liberal arts college that is sort of very much concentrated on that, that community that you like. But then, you know, maybe at a larger public institution, you have, uh, you, you, you found some things that you really like. And uh, in that way, I think what you're saying is, Right on, Sally. That uh, that you can't sort of assume that all small liberal arts colleges are created equal, or that you know every large public school it's is going to be sort of a rah rah you know college football kind of an atmosphere. Um, you you really want to use those those college visit opportunities to to get that sort of more abstract, a um, little bit a little bit less concrete, you know, a little bit more of just that impression kind of a feel um, to to get a sense of whether you think you'd be comfortable someplace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, sort of, um, I call it campus culture. And to me, that's always the piece that I think students neglect the most. They think, well, it's a good school, it'll be fine. Right. And so I just try and ask them, try and figure out if most people there agree with you, 
disagree with you or if there's a mix. If most people disagree with you, that's completely fine, uh, you know, on whatever the issues might be. But you need to be comfortable then with that. You need to figure out if you want to be in a place where most pe- most people seem like you or if, or if you're kind of happy being in a place where you're really maybe going to stand out a little bit. And that might be actually sort of fun for you. Um, you know, I had a I had a student come from a um, pretty urban high school up here, like very diverse place. He was very liberal, and he you know he went off down to a southern university and just absolutely loves it. Loves not being in the Greek system. He called himself a GDI, which I'm guessing I can't repeat what that means, but you know, it's a <laughs> gosh darn independent. And uh, yeah. you know, he walked in with his eyes open, so it was a really good kind of conscious choice. So. Um, all right, great. Well, yeah. I think we've, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I think we've talked about, with, uh... okay. <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> um, yeah. And I really feel like the importance of culture can't be, you know, overstated unless you're basically going to a commuter school and you're not getting the full experience of a college campus. Um, but let's talk about some more specific things too. You know, we have a couple minutes left. So, um, like, are there particular questions that maybe students in special groups like, you know, art or music or maybe athletes should ask? Well, yeah, I think that brings up a great point, which is that um, for, for students in, you know, for students in the liberal arts, I think a lot of what we just talked about um, probably applies to, you know, any given campus visit. But if you're going to be, um, you know, in the music department or an art major, um, I think it's also true of being an athlete then in a lot of ways your experience is going to be um, so heavily influenced by your interaction with, you know, if you're an athlete with your coaches and your teammates, if you're uh, a music student with, with, your, with your music instructors and your, your professors, potentially with the other people in an ensemble or a band that you play with. And in many ways your experience is, is really going to be um, – perhaps very different than the mainstream kind of culture of a given school. Um, so I think trying to spend uh, a little bit of extra time, you know, if you are able to make an appointment with a particular professor um, or, or, you know, maybe a- attend a practice of the team that you're, you're looking at, um, you know, trying to spend some time in the studio and, and look at the, you know, at the very least look at the resources, look at the work that the students are producing, um, see if there's a particular philosophy to, uh, the way that they teach art at a given school and think about whether you would like to learn in that kind of an environment. So I think that the main point with those is that your experience is going to be very heavily dependent on the, the quality of fit with that smaller particular program or, or team or sport, um, much less so the, the larger environment that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would think it would be a good idea even specifically to kind of ask the players about what the coach was like when he when he's not recruiting them once they're on the team. Like really ask some pretty specific questions about that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, same thing for, for arts and music uh, departments as well. I mean, they, they all want to roll out the red carpet um, when they're recruiting you, but, you know, you got to make sure that the experience is... Uh, going to match what the reality is going to match what you think you're seeing on a visit by asking some people that have been through it for a couple of years. It's a great way to try to gauge that. Mm-hmm. And then what if you're a student who needs some support services? 
Um, or if you think, if you realize you're going to need to take math and it isn't your strength, are there particular questions that you might be asking in that situation? Yeah, that's, they're good questions. Um, I think for, for support services, you know, again, this, this starts, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of a very different conversation here, but, you know, folks are probably aware that um, support services and college environment are not the same as high school environment. There's not necessarily somebody that's putting together an IEP for you. And um, in college, you, you have to be your own self-advocate. And I think that starts with the college visit and investigating, um, investigating if there's a, you know, a, a learning resource center or a student disability center. Um, I mean, I think we all probably had times in college where we wanted some extra help and as much as we might not want to think about the 2 a.m. Um, counseling session in the library, you know, is there going to be a writing tutor available? Um, so it's not necessarily just disability support services or learning support services, but just thinking about the resources more broadly. Um, so I think those are, those are good things to keep in mind. And then for the, for the math major, um, one of the things that I think is a great question in terms of, or for the person that struggles with math, I think your question was, this is one of those great examples of the difference between the sort of remote website brochure research versus the campus experience research, um, you know, on the website, you could probably investigate what the quantitative requirements would be, if any, for your particular program or major interest. Um, but knowing that there's a quantitative requirement and then have, actually having to sign up for the right class are two different things. So, you know, again, trying to find somebody maybe within the major that you're interested in or within, you know, for that kid that's a little bit numerophobic, um, trying to find somebody outside a quantitative field and say, hey, how did you navigate this particular requirement? I know that at my alma mater, and I very much was kind of a, a uh, mathophobe, uh, there, was a, there wasn't quite the, the classic kind of math for, math for athletes or poetry and math, those kinds of classes, but there were, some, there were actually some digital media classes that uh, heavily relied on kind of some programming software and some students navigated the quantitative curriculum that, or the requirement that way. Um, other people took more of a conceptual math class, which is the one that I stumbled my way through. Um, but I think that's a great example of something that you could find out much more about by talking to people on the campus than you could necessarily just by reading materials on the website or in print. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I think we need to wrap it up. Um, and uh, thanks so much for this. I think, you know, to a large degree, what we're talking about can be summed up by don't be shy. Ask every question that comes <laughs> to mind, you know. Um, yep. So anyway, so thanks so much. Hey, thank you, uh, Sally. You're welcome. All right. So everyone, we're going to take a short break. But when we get back, we'll be talking with Annie Connors, a student at the University of South Carolina in Columbia, about how she picked her college and what she thinks about it now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. listening to getting in a college coach conversation to reach elizabeth heaton or her guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com now back to the show Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our our break, during this segment, we'll be talking to Annie Connors, a student at the University of South Carolina, about her college process. Welcome, Annie. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. So let's, let's just dive right in. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about your college application process? Did you always have USC as a top choice, or was it one of many that you were considering? Uh, it was definitely one of many. I really was unsure of what I wanted, where I wanted to be, what size I wanted. So I kind of applied across the East Coast to schools of um, all different sizes in different areas, like urban and somewhat rural. So I just kind of applied across the scope and didn't mm-hmm. know where I was going to end up. Okay. And so what did you do? Did you just start visiting colleges? Is that kind of how you started to narrow it down? Yeah. At the beginning of junior year, my mom and I took a trip down to North and South Carolina, and we did um, kind of a tour of around six or seven schools of, like like I said, different sizes and um, different settings. And um, that was kind of how I got my feel of what I somewhat wanted and what kind of area and environment I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And so what, what originally attracted you to USC? Like of all the colleges you were visiting, what grabbed you about USC? I mean, I know it wasn't your only application, but when, what made you say, I'm applying there? 
Um, I think that it had like the perfect balance of, I didn't want um, a totally urban school where I didn't get the campus feel, but at the same time, I didn't, I wanted the opportunity to be in a city and have the convenience of a city around me. So having the, the campus within a city um, definitely attracted me. And then I also thought that being at a big school, I thought I would have more opportunity to, um, I, I don't even know, I just more opportunities. So that attracted me also. And also the sports. I thought that would be fun too. Okay. okay. <laughs> now, have you been, oh, go ahead. No, that was, that was a- Oh, okay. So, um, so obviously a larger school ended up attracting you. Initially, had you been thinking about um, smaller colleges? Yes. I Originally, I thought I wanted a smaller liberal arts college just because I enjoyed um, the small classroom setting. I enjoyed getting to know my teachers and knowing all my classmates and feeling comfortable to ask whatever I wanted um, during class. So I was afraid that going to a big school, I wouldn't get that. So academics-wise, that's why I wanted a smaller school. But once I came in toward USC, I saw classes in session, and I realized that a majority of the classes aren't, are capped at like 30, which really is um, was a good thing for me. And the lecture halls, we have the opportunity to go meet with the teacher or have breakout sessions with TAs where you can get extra help. So I thought I was going to get the same opportunities that I would at a small school. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you are getting enough personal attention there? Yeah, I do. In certain situations, um, I definitely think that it's more on you to get that attention. Like you have to make time. You have to reach out to your professors where if you were in a smaller um, school, the professors might be more likely to um, be like, keep an eye on you since they have so fewer students, but I think it adds a little more responsibility, which kind of helped me mature as a student to have to reach, like reach out more. So I thought that was a good opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. And so by reaching out, you mean you're the one who has to go to the office hours and kind of figure out where, when the office hours are, you're the one who has to go to them and kind of I imagine go fairly prepared with what your questions are. I always imagine that there's like probably a few, you know, maybe a line of students waiting, but is that not the case at USC or is it pretty, is it pretty quick to get in to see your, your faculty? I would say typically it's, it's fairly quick to get in because even if you don't have, uh, like oftentimes I, the same time as my professor's office hours, if you reach out to them, then they know that you want the help. So they're, they're really accommodating and they will find a time that works for you. Um, because if you're, if you're reaching out to them in college, they, they really understand that you want the help right. and they want to help you. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. So it sounds like you are getting the academic support that you need. Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. Um, and tell me in general, what has surprised you about USC, both good and bad? Well, I originally was nervous about the, si- the size with like finding people and feeling like I was one in like, 20,000, but I've come to realize that you can really make the school your own and you surround yourself with 
a lot of great people, and I thought that that would that I wouldn't get a sense of community in such a, a large school, but I was totally wrong about that. And there's many ways that love that you really can make your own community. So I was very happy. Mm-hmm. And um, the well, like I said, the sports are awesome. I'm so glad that I came to a school where I have that because our school, like our school spirit, is. Um, great and we may not have the best sports teams but it definitely brings the entire campus together mm-hmm. um and yeah i was surprised by how many opportunities you have simply to get involved like like i had um we have a poster around campus that says boredom is your fault and then next to it is a list of all 400 clubs and organizations that we have here so i was worried that i wouldn't have opportunities to explore and try new things, but I, again, was totally wrong about that. Okay. Yeah, I actually love that. Boredom is your fault. Absolutely the case. There's a lot mm-hmm. to do on uh, yeah. most college campuses, I think, but I'm glad that USC has a really an abundance. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's... we're very lucky, but yeah, most I would imagine most college campuses offer yeah. lots mm-hmm. of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Boredom is your fault. Remember that, students. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so obviously USC has been absolutely the right choice for you, but has, was there any, have there been any negative surprises? Yes. Um, well, a pl- like registering for classes is definitely a struggle. Um, when I came for orientation, I expected like a one-on-one meeting with my advisor, and I was shocked when I was in a room with 30 other kids and given 30 seconds to speak to an advisor. Um, And I've noticed that friends of mine at smaller schools definitely get more attention from their advisors, but I've come to realize that they do, they have walk-in hours every single day. You can go into them whenever you want and ask them the questions. It's just more, uh, again, on you to reach out to them which is a challenge of a larger school because they have to cater to so many students that they really don't have the time to do one-on-one during registration. But if you go to them, then you can get attention that you need. And also applying for classes in general, um, it can be very difficult when you have 20,000 kids trying to get on the website at once. Um, The classes fill up very quickly and sometimes the website crashes. So that has been probably the most overwhelming thing that I've had to deal with but yeah yeah I can imagine yeah but it once you get this like once you understand what you're dealing with it becomes much more manageable like I make a before I'm applying like registering for classes I make a list of my ideal class times that I want and then I make a backup list in case I don't get my original classes and that way I'm prepared for all situations Okay, that's smart. So it, it really, it's pretty clear to me that of of the downsides or the things that are a little harder at a larger school, you just need to be extra prepared and then you're fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I've seen, come to find, which, at the, yes, it can be annoying, but at the same time, I think it's just made me much more responsible in general and I'm more on top of, like, figuring things out for myself now, which I wasn't necessarily used to before. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think that it helped me like grow up a little bit too. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and that kind of brings me to another question, which is that I know you're not close to home. I believe you're from the Northeast, right? Yeah. I am. Okay. Okay. And so you're going to school in the South. So, you know, what are, um, what are challenges about being farther away from home and, and what are benefits? Well, I think that the benefit of being far away from home was I was, I've never gone away from home before, never went to sleepaway camp, nothing. So this was a totally new experience for me and I was incredibly nervous. But once I got here, I realized I don't have the opportunity. Like, I can't just drive home for a weekend or take a train home for a day. Like, I, I am stuck here until a holiday. And that made me realize, like, I have to make this place my home for now. Like, I have to find things to do. I have to adjust. And knowing that I didn't have home to fall back on actually made me adjust faster Whereas I think if I had stayed closer to home and I had the opportunity to go home more frequently, it would have been a lot more difficult for me to um, make my college like my second home. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that helped me. Whereas I know some of my friends stayed a lot closer to home and they struggled to adjust as easily as I did. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think you're really right. Students who stay within a three to five hours even um, distance from home often will go home on the weekend and it's not like doing that every once in a while is a bad thing but they end up not forming as close relationships with their college friends they're still relying heavily on their high school friends um, is, yeah I completely agree with that yeah yeah and obviously high school friends are wonderful but college friends can be pretty great too that's part of the great things about one of the great things about going to college so um, right and then when you go home for break seeing your high school friends is so much more exciting than if you see them all the time. So I definitely think that going far away was, makes it a lot easier. And then you, and then like being far away from home, your college friends are in the same situation. So you really can rely on each other. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that makes your bond like even stronger with your closest college friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I want to I want to ask you something because I think this is the kind of nightmare that a lot of parents have when they think about their kids going far away from home. I know that when you were in your first semester at USC, South Carolina, much of the deep south was hit by major storms and that resulted in flooding that cut down your college campus and really impacted the city where you were. So, maybe tell me about what that experience was like. Um, you know, how did um how did the how did the university react? Did you feel taken care of? Just tell me a little bit about that for a couple minutes. Okay. Well, it was definitely very difficult. Luckily for us, our, our campus wasn't affected, but um, we were, I mean, we were out of water for a week and a half, which was very difficult. But I really think that the university did everything they possibly could to make us feel as comfortable and safe as possible. They had water support supplied to every single dorm every day so you could come and take whatever you needed. They had at least two dining halls open at all times and they were limited in what they could make but they always made sure that they could provide us with food and water and oftentimes we didn't have to pay for it because it was so like it it would be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but it was something. So and they also had an extensive volunteer program because the city of Columbia was affected. 
they said, hey, if you're still here and you have nothing to do because provided so many volunteer opportunities. So I really do think that they took the situation and made the most of it. Mm-hmm. And it helped bring students together. It gave students something to do. And they tried to keep us as safe, but also like um, involved as possible. Mm-hmm. I ended up leaving and going to stay with family friends. Um, and I brought some of my friends from school. So I definitely think that me having family somewhat close helped, like, in certain situations. Like, that was one of my parents' fears about me going far away from home was, what if something happens and you need to get out? Will there be people there? So they were comfortable knowing that I had family there. And then when the worst happened, I was able to rely on them to help me when I couldn't get home. Mm-hmm. I think, though, in our earlier discussion, you talked about how you brought friends with you to their house, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. I like to emphasize that because I feel like also students step up for each other. You know, I'm sure you weren't the only one who who extended a hand like that. Absolutely. And I had, I'm in um, a sorority and I had older sisters who have houses off campus texting the younger girls who lived on campus saying we have running water feel free to come stay with us if you need food so the the students all really came together to try to help each other as much as possible and yeah I was able to bring a bunch of friends and the trip they thought my family was their own and that was really nice to see okay all right. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. See, so listen, parents, it's, it's okay to let your kid go far away from home as long yes. as, uh, as long as she has the kind of independence that you have, I think, Annie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So I think, um, I think that's it. I think we need to get ready for our next segment. So thank you so much. This was a really yes, fun thank conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, we'll now be taking a short break, but when we return, we'll be talking to Jean Mahan about the New England Regional Student Program for Tuition Reciprocity Agreements. Thanks so much. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? 
It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for our third and final segment. If you live in New England, you'll want to listen to Jean Mahan, finance expert at College Coach, discuss New England's reciprocal tuition agreements. Thanks for being here today to tell us about them, Jean. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for having me today. Okay, great. So I'm just going to dive into some of these questions here. Okay. Um, So I've heard that my child can go to college in another New England state and pay the same tuition and fees as he would in our, in our home state, like here in Connecticut where I live. Can you tell me more? Sure. So um, this program, the New England Regional Student Program, has been around for almost 60 years. Uh, it, was a, it was a result of the New England Compact, which was the six New England states, kind of getting together and saying, hey, you know, let's try to work together so that, you know, programs that aren't available in one state, we can allow our those residents to go to another state and maybe not pay that full out-of-state tuition, which can be pretty pricey. And so the program has been uh, more frequently known now as the Tuition Break Program. Um, it's really an interesting program. It's available to, as I said, residents of the six New England states, and it's basically a, a tool for those students who don't have a particular major in their state but want to pursue that but don't want to pay those large out-of-state costs. Um, for example, if you're a Connecticut resident and you want to major in aquaculture and fisheries technology, it's not available at any of the Connecticut public colleges or universities. So that individual would be able to attend the University of Rhode Island under the tuition break program. And to give you an idea of the difference in tuition, a Rhode Island resident would pay, you know, at URI a tuition of about $11,100 this year. A Connecticut resident who went to URI to major in another area, say English or history or a, a major available in Connecticut would pay $27,000 for tuition, and the Connecticut resident that's planning to major in aquaculture would pay about $19,000. So there is a di- distinct difference in the amount of tuition that students pay when they participate in these programs. And there's really just so many of them. It, it was When I was doing some research, I was just really surprised at some of the programs that are available. Um, you know, they have a catalog you can access online at the New England Board of Higher Education, nebhe.org. And some of the new programs for the 16-17 school year are um, an aviation flight training program, and residents from Connecticut, New Hampshire, or Rhode Island can attend Bridgewater State in Massachusetts, University of Maine at Augusta, or Vermont Technical College at the slightly more than in-state rate to, to major in that. Global Studies is available for Maine residents at Rhode Island College, 
um, veterinary technology is available at the University of Maine at Augusta for students from Connecticut, Mass, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And so it looks like they're adding programs pretty much every year. So it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's a real diversity of programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is this just for public universities, or do private colleges and universities also participate? No, it's just public colleges, universities, and community colleges. So if you were interested in getting a certificate or an associate's degree, you'd also be eligible to participate in tuition break. But private colleges, no, you can't. they don't participate in this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in general, there's no difference with in-state and out-of-state tuition with private universities in general. So yeah, that exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, so if, um, if my child decides not to major in the subject that's allowed, that allowed him to use the RSP, mm-hmm. um, what happens then? So if you, if you start out and you're majoring in aquaculture and you decide that, you know what, I think I really just want to major in engineering and your state has that particular um, engineering major, then you would no longer be eligible for the tuition break and you would pay what an out-of-state student um, pays. So in this case, you know, using this Connecticut resident who's at URI, that Connecticut resident would pay $27,000. On the flip side, maybe you went to URI as an English major from Connecticut and you said, oh, wow, I think I really want to do this aquaculture program. You can apply to get the RSP for any other years that you're majoring in that program. You just have to work with the RSP coordinator on your campus and the registrar's office, and they can help you work through that, you know, the paperwork and everything to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, it's not a, you're not locked in. So if you change your major and you are in an RSP approved program, you can get the benefit. You know, on the other side, if you decide that's not what your, you know, your passion is and you're going to go back and major in something else, then you do lose that benefit. Okay, that's important for people to know, for sure. it is. And the other thing that's important to know, too, is that this is a tuition-only break so that the fees are not included. So a lot of schools have, you know, pretty high fees so that you have to be careful, you know, and, and calculate, you know, what additional costs you're also going to have besides just the tuition. Right, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some schools, the fees are as high as the tuition. Oh, yeah, uh, easily. Yeah. I mean, people are always surprised at, you know, the tuition at UMass Amherst is only, I don't know, 1700 or 1800 but, you know, tuition and fees are more like fourteen or $15,000. So much, much, much different. You know, usually fees are a big part of it. Mm-hmm, okay. And so is... Um, is my child eligible to apply for financial aid if she also uses RSP? Oh, absolutely. So when you apply for RSP, the, the college may have a block on the application that allows you to check it off saying you're an RSP. If you're not, if they don't offer that, you can indicate somewhere on the application that you are applying for this particular major under the RSP program. And then you just fill out the financial aid forms that the school requires, a FAFSA if they have any additional uh, paperwork that you need to complete, and make sure you're meeting their deadlines so you can use the two programs together. One doesn't preclude the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very important. Yes, it as is. Well. The other thing that's really interesting is this part of this um, includes what's called a proximity program, and they're proximity-based. So, for example, say you live in northern Connecticut, and, you know, it would be actually easier for you to attend a college in Massachusetts because it's closer to your home 
than a college in Connecticut, then you might be able to apply as a proximity-based candidate. And there are certain conditions that you might have to meet. The school could impose. They could say you must commute. You can't live on campus. You must reside a certain distance from the school. It might, must be, you know, a certain number of miles. And they can even restrict the majors to either, um, you know, a, a program that's in the RSP catalog or maybe an under-enrolled program. Uh, a lot of the high-demand majors, whether this is, you know, uh, proximity-based or just under the tuition break, um, particularly those in the health professions, may not be available to two students that are taking advantage of these proximity-based programs or even RSP. So, you know, if, the, if you have a nursing program in your state and you're trying to get nursing at, you know, UConn, it's not likely to work for you. Right. Now, however, there are graduate programs that you can also apply for. So there's some doctoral programs in nursing that aren't available in every state, and you'd be able to take advantage of those um, if you were living in one state and they had the doctoral program in another. I believe UConn has several you know, um, doctoral programs in the health professions that you can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. or, or for a student who wanted to go, say, from Connecticut to Rhode Island as well. Some of the right. eastern Connecticut counties. Right, exactly. So those, you know, eastern Connecticut, so some of those towns border right on Massachusetts, and probably those, those uh, residents might even uh, identify more as Massachusetts because they may shop there. They may, you know, do other things there. They have entertainment there. So they may even identify more as Massachusetts folks than Connecticut. And so this gives them an opportunity. And I did work at a community college in Massachusetts prior to coming to college coaching. We did have some students from the northeast corner of Connecticut that came to our school, you know, under this um, tuition break program. But again, some of them could not get into some of the high demand um, types of majors, Mm -hmm. mainly in the health professions. Okay. And so so we only have about a minute or two minutes left, but... um I've started seeing, again, I live in Connecticut, uh, billboards for University of Maine uh-huh. saying pay the same tuition yeah. as you would pay in state. So tell yeah. me about that. Yeah, so the University of Maine at Orono announced a few months ago that they have a new program called the Flagship Match Program. It's pretty exciting. Um, it's going to allow academically qualified freshmen from New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania to pay the same tuition at the University of Maine as they would pay in their home state at their flagship university. So a Pennsylvania resident who is admitted in the top tier of this program will have a tuition waiver of about 11300 and that brings it to the cost of Penn State. So they're basically paying Penn State tuition at the University of Maine at Orono. It's not. It's only available to those um, residents of those six states that I mentioned. Um, I did have a conversation with the provost this week, and he indicated that there may be down the road the opportunity to add some additional schools, but right now they're just starting it with this. And so um, Tier 1 students, those would be the students with the highest GPAs and test scores, um, they would qualify for the full um, tuition waiver, you know, so they'd be waiving that the difference between what their state charges and what the University of Maine charges for an out-of-state student. Tier 2 students who might have slightly lower test scores and GPA would be um, eligible for a flat $9,000 award. And this is based on taking 15 credits. If, if the student took fewer credits, then it would be um, adjusted. But the good news, too, is that transfer students are eligible to come in under this program. Um, they, they are eligible for um, a waiver of about $6,000 a year. So 
So it's really a nice program for people who, you know, may be interested, but again, don't want to pay those, you know, the, the out-of-state tuition. Typically at the University of Maine at Orono, out-of-state residents are charged 28.8 for tuition. So, you know, knowing that you can, you know, you're a Connecticut resident and you can pay, um, you know, the 15000 that UConn would charge or you're a New Jersey resident and you can pay the fourteen seven that Rutgers charges could make a big difference in, in your decision about where you'll go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. So a really okay. interesting program that they're offering. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Listen, this has been so helpful. Um, so oh, thank you so much for coming good. on. Thanks. It was my pleasure. Okay. And thank you to the rest of my guests today, too. Uh, now I want to tell you about our lineup for next week. I'll be talking to a student about why and how she chose the University of Michigan and discussing what to do if you've been admitted to some colleges, but you don't like any of your choices. These are two different segments, by the way. The student uh, um, um, who's been admitted to University of Michigan is very happy with her choice. Um, and for our financing college segment, a finance expert will be asking listener questions. And finally, just a reminder that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. Also, if you like our show, please, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time and is absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.